This episode of Superman of the Bronze Age is sponsored by InStock Trades. A mainstay of the collected edition market, InStock Trades has over 13,000 individual trade paperback, graphic novel, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship, all at great discounted prices. Most orders ship within 48 hours, and orders over $50 ship for free. You can find them on the web at www.instocktrades.com. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over the Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. This is Superman Superman in the the Bronze Age. Age. Everybody and welcome to episode 111 of Superman in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and once again we're journeying back to the late 1970s to take a look at some of Superman's, well, I don't know about greatest, but some of his most fun adventures, we'll call them. Uh, today we're going to take a look at one of the oldest comics that I own in my collection, and oldest as in one of the first ones I bought, not the actual oldest comic I have. But I'll explain that in a little bit. First of all, we've got some feedback. And I have to apologize. Um, if you've ever been to the website, you'll know that it's on a, it's a WordPress site. And up until now, it's been very good about letting me know when I have feedback. Well, last time it didn't tell me that I had feedback. So I did see that I had feedback from Russell Bragg. Which shouldn't have surprised me, but... I didn't think I had any. And then when I went to post the episode, there was feedback. So I've got, so technically I've got two from him today, but I'll break them up a little bit. So first up, we've got an email from Russell Bragg. um, And he writes, hello, Charlie. Hope all is well. I guess the countdown is getting closer and closer to the end. Heavy sigh. Oh. (sighs) Great job on describing Superman 332 all around. I could picture in my head everything we're talking about, since once again I didn't have the issue in front of me. I did a bit of research for you. Moosey Draper did not appear in the original Superboy comic series. He shows up in the New Adventures of Superboy, but only once, in issue 18. That really shocked me, and that was way after the two-parter you just covered. So I guess Moosey was created in Superman 332. Draper Master Dra- Draper slash Master Jailer didn't really show up 
that much in the pre-crisis after this. Two more times with Superman and the rest, five times he battles Supergirl in the Superman family comic. Eben and Sarah Kent. What do I win? <laughs> oh, I got you. That's from the quiz for the... Uh, what you call it? For the Superman movie thing. Uh, you win getting your email read on the air. Have you seen all of those questions for the contest? I'd be curious to see if I could answer them all. As for the issue you'll cover today, I love Bizarro. It took me years before I actually had Superman 333 in my hands, last year to be exact. It's a pretty good issue of memory, sirs. I know you'll do a great synopsis, and I look forward to listening to it. Better cruise along for now. Continue thanks for promoting my show, the DC Comics Presents show. Hope you liked being in the newest promo. I loved it. Uh... That was the one I wanted to be first. I just couldn't find the time to work on it. You know how it is. So long for now, Russell. Well, thank you, Russell. Uh, I have not seen all the questions. To be fair, uh, outside of Superman, I really don't have that many Bronze Age comics. At least not anymore. So I haven't seen any other questions outside of the Superman stuff. And since they're doing like a... I'm thinking they had like a different question in almost every comic. So... Yeah, I haven't had a chance to actually check out any others. Maybe there's a website, though. I have a feeling you'd probably end up doing the research, but I'll, I'll see if I can find a website that might have some of those questions on it. But moving right along, got an email from Mark Lax, and he writes, Hey, Charlie, great episode. He's talking about last episode, not 109, but 110. Hey, Charlie, great episode. I wanted to try and answer your question about traveling through time counterclockwise as well as clockwise. Two words, Bronze Age. Okay, I know that's not a perfect explanation after all. I'm no physicist, or more importantly, DC Comics writer from the 70s. But after reading comic books, and more importantly, Superman comic books for more than 40 years, I've learned to throw logic out the window. Very good. In a similar vein, there was also some head-scratching about Superman rotating the Earth at the end of the first movie, which ironically was supposed to be the ending of the second movie, had Richard Donner been allowed to finish it. So this causes more head-scratching, because if that was the original ending to 2, what was the original ending of the first movie supposed to be? Actually, I know this one. I feel like Captain America right there. I, under I get that. I got that one. Uh, the original ending was basically supposed to be him throwing the rocket, and having it explode and tear open the hole in the Phantom Zone. And then it was going to be like to be continued in Superman 2. But once they realized that... I, th I can't remember at what point. It was either when they realized that Donner might not be able to come back for the second one. Or they needed a better ending for the first one. They moved the time ending up to the first one. And then they would come up with a new ending for the second one when they were working on it. But unfortunately, because he got fired before he could do any work on the second one, they never got around to it. Which is partially why the time thing was used again when they did Superman 2, the Donner Cut. Yes, I believe that's what I'm supposed to be saying. Anyway, like I was saying, whether it's Silver Age or Bronze Age, Superman logic goes out the window, and I guess the movies followed suit. But what did we care? As a kid, the first movie blew me away, and I have great memories of the movie and the comics. We didn't want logic, just entertainment, and we got that in spades. Keep up the great work, your pal, Mark Lax. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, yeah, you, basically that's all you can say, whether it's Silver Age or Bronze Age. It, it doesn't make much sense, and... I have to tell you, the, these kinds of comics, they are a lot of fun to read when you're not having to break them down for a podcast. When you're trying to look at them analytically and 
break them apart and go over them with a fine-tooth comb, you find all these things. But, you know, if you're just reading it, well, maybe the time thing would have kind of been confusing to me. But other than that, I, you know, these are just good old-fashioned fun. Uh, but anyway, thank you again, Mark. And once more, Russell Bragg returns for an email from last episode for episode 110 that he writes, Goodbye, Charlie. Episode 110 am lousy. Comic talked about not am weird. But what else do you expect from comic starring Bizarro? Great show as always. I may have more to say about your ads portion than the synopsis itself this time. Couldn't find much about these seemingly new powers of Bizarro, Freezing Vision, and the like, appearing anywhere else but Superman 333. Actually, Russell, if you remember, um, oh, and I can't think of the issue number right now, 317-ish or so, uh, the first issue that, um, the first or second issue that uh, Marty Pasco actually wrote, uh, Bizarro did show up with his powers changing because of some, I think, a radioactive cloud or something. Uh, so that's where he demonstrated his freezing vision in uh, heat or flame breath, but not the other powers yet. But thank you for looking. It was fun to listen to your synopsis, as always. Were you surprised that in the final panel, that, it, that with that look on Lana's face, there weren't tears streaming down her face? I still think we are right about the time travel dial from DC Comics Presents 1 and 2. When setting your clock, counterclockwise sets your time behind or in the past, clockwise sets your time ahead or in the future. Maybe it's just a mistake made in their artwork. I don't think so, because we had two different artists, and the, the way it's written, I think it's a Pasco thing. I have to look, because I don't think they really focus too much on which direction he goes with other writers, but I'm not sure. Like Mark said, it's, you know, it's the Silver, it's the Bronze Age. Just kind of let it go, I guess. Um, hostess ad, Wonder Woman versus the Cheetah. I believe this is the Priscilla Rich Cheetah, for she was blonde. All the other Cheetah incarnations had brown hair. Why she was wearing regular clothes, I have no idea. Of course, she was at home. Maybe she doesn't feel like wearing her costume when she's at home relaxing, which makes sense. I remember having the two Superman treasuries back then and rebought them not too long ago. I also have the Action Comics one as well as the Superman 2 book. Here's what I found out on that Wonder Woman book. Like you said, it wasn't 30s to the 70s. It was just called Wonder Woman. Publisher, Miss Books. Year, 1972. Description, 192 pages. Hardcover with dust jacket. Features Golden Age reprints split into four sections. Origins, Sisterhood, Politics, and Romance. Contains an introduction by world-renowned feminist Gloria Steinem, who reminisces about her childhood days reading Wonder Woman comics and what that meant to be. Or what that meant to her. Also includes a 16-page essay on the Amazon legacy by Phyllis Chesler. That sounds amazing. Approximate value, $20 to $25 US. I remember wanting that Batman utility belt badly, but never got one. A neighbor kid had the kryptonite. If I remember right, you couldn't order it in different colors. That stinks. But with the movie, they only had green in the movie, so whatever. Miss Anton was Susan Anton, a popular singer-slash-actress from the 70s. One of my favorite Linda Carter pictures, too, was in that ad. Me have more to say, so hello. Me not listen to episode 111. Signed, Bizarro Russell Brack. Well, thanks, Russell. I, I think I commented all the way through that about the stuff you said. Like I said, I didn't know about che the cheetah, so I'm glad you let me know. I didn't know there were more than one cheetah. All the other cheetahs. Wow. I have to read some Wonder Woman one of these days. Although, I hear that the best thing to do would just be pick up post-crisis, because pre-crisis is a little... Nah. 
I, I read a couple issues by, I think, Roy Thomas and Jean Colon. I've heard that was somewhat of a good run. That's right when she got the W instead of the bird on, or the eagle on her chest. I don't know. I really would like to read some more non-Superman DC comics from a, the Bronze Age and stuff just to see what I've been missing out on. Especially Flash for some reason. But you know what? I don't know why I'm talking about that. Okay. Next up, we're going to talk about Superman number 334. Now, I've told you that this is the oldest issue of my collection. This is the oldest issue of Superman that I own where he was alive. See, what happened was, if, as I've mentioned on here before, um, I got into collecting Superman comics with the, well, right after the death. Basically, my first issue of, of a Superman comic that I owned uh, was, in fact, Superman number 498, which would be the issue of Adventures of Superman that came out exactly a week after Superman 75. I got it in a big collection, the whole funeral for a friend storyline, all in one big set, thanks to Walmart. Um, one of the issues in that set, I had an ad for Discount Comics from, from out of El Segundo, California. And in that ad, they had, for a dollar each, you could have gotten all these issues of Superboy. So I got those. I read through all those issues of Superboy, and I thought... I want some Superman comics because I would like to have some comics where he's alive. Because if you think about it, my first Superman comics were Funeral for a Friend. Superman's dead. The only time you see him is his dead body. So I went other than one other than that issue of Man of Steel where you see a couple panels where it looks like Superman's alive, but it's part of Lois's dream of Superman die, drowning, and then the fl slight flashback from John Bogdanov of when. Batman was given the kryptonite ring. Other than that, Superman's not alive. So I, I went to the little catalog that came with all those Superboy comics. And the oldest Superman comics that I could afford in the dollar range uh, were Superman 334, 335, and 336. Uh, so I, I got those. They came in. And therefore, this is the oldest of the... Well, this is the first of the three. I won't be going over 336 because Marty Pasco didn't write that. Uh, but 334 and 335 are going to be this episode and next episode, obviously. And it's really cool because I've had these comics longer than almost anything else in my collection. And these are still the originals. I haven't replaced them. So, when we come back, we are going to look at Superman 334, The Man Who Stole Superman's Eyes. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The Schuster Herald Podcast, It's Superman, The Carousel Podcast, The Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, 
Jeffrey Taylor. Michael Bailey. Scott Gardner. Sam Rizzo. Danny Sapp. Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Eunice and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have to mine, you have to it. You might want to only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time. And then if you go out of that, it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough. So it's better to just set it up. Oh, okay. It, it really doesn't work well. So I checked right. uh, I checked my, uh, mm-hmm. my pre-booking. It definitely built me for the hotel for all three of us. Join Back to the Bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All right, Superman 334 had a cover date of April 1979, an on-sale date of January 22nd, 1979. It was purchased by me probably in the spring of 93. It had a cover price of 40 cents, so I didn't really spend too much more when I bought it. Uh, The title of the story is The Man Who Stole Superman's Eyes, written by Marty Pascoe, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Sheremonte, lettered by Milt Snappen, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Now, this comic starts as though it's part two of a two-part story, but we never, it's not a media raised with a flashback. It's weird. But anyway, uh, Superman is flying over Metropolis looking for Lana, who has mysteriously disappeared. At an abandoned subway station, Lana is being led to a meeting with the leader of the Skeleton Gang, which is made up of the few remaining members of Skull. Get it? Skeleton over Skull. Huh, funny guys. Oh, and their costumes are like Halloween costumes with skeletons instead of like cool jumpsuits. Anyway, Lana tells them that she found them all by herself, but they believe that Superman sent her to spy on them. A backhand to the face knocks Lana out, but not before she calls out for Superman. While this doesn't prove that Superman sent her, his superhearing could have picked up her call for help. So while they take some precautions, Superman's flying overhead thinking about how Lana has tipped his hand and ruined weeks. Weeks, I tell you, of careful planning and surveillance. But his thoughts are interrupted when his x-ray vision spots the skeleton member standing over Lana's unconscious body down in a subway station. So he busts into the station, and the leader leaps to the third rail, which apparently is active, and causes him to disintegrate. However, Superman is able to catch up to the other two gang members and knocks them out. Then, Superman rouses Lana from unconsciousness and gives her crap for messing things up, which he immediately feels bad about when Lana breaks down in tears. After apologies are made, Superman investigates the third rail and discovers that it is actually a disguised teleporter similar to the one used by Skull. We then transition to Morgan Edge's office at WGBS, where Lana finishes relating all that we have just seen to Edge, Lois, Steve Lombard, and Oscar Asherman. When she wonders why they've all been called to Edge's office, Superman enters from a window to explain. Apparently, the mummy of the ancient Egyptian prince Hetep... Uh, Hetep Keti we'll go with, is on exhibit at the Metropolitan, Metro, Metropolitan, 
Metropolitan Museum of Natural History, an exhibit which includes his personal effects, some of which are made of gold and some contain precious gems. Due to this, Superman has created a burglar-proof alarm system and is giving WGBS exclusive coverage of him testing it out in the forest south of Mount Olympus. Steve can do the commentary, and Oscar, who is also WGBS's science editor, um, can do the, you know, science-y stuff. But Superman excludes Lois and Lana due to the possible danger. After all, Lois was almost killed by Bizarro recently, and Lana was not only kidnapped by Master Jailer, but also met up with Skeleton, so they're not allowed to go to the test. That afternoon, Superman meets up with Steve and Oscar and begins the test. The alarm system involves a thermal alarm that he invented, which is made from the heat-absorbing metal from the planet Tremora. It will be attached to the specially tempered glass that the exhibit will be encased in, and then activated by Superman's heat vision to a temperature of well over 200 degrees. While this is below the melting point of the glass, it is much too hot to touch. The metal will remain hot indefinitely, so it will need to be cooled for anyone to break in. But if that happens, the alarm will sound a special high-frequency tone that his superhearing will be able to detect regardless of where he is. While he's going over all this, we see Lana sneaking out of the trunk of the car that Steve and Oscar drove up in, jotting down notes so she can do her own version of the story later, I guess. But in the middle of the test, the entire test structure explodes thanks to a ray from a strange spacecraft above. Superman goes to confront the ship and is met by its pilot, Opticus. The humanoid, er, a humanoid being with a giant eyeball for a head who looks like, I think he's called the Eye from that current original Sin storyline going over in Marvel. While he is introducing himself, he uses rays from his eyes to envelop Superman's hands in energy cocoons, which causes... Uh, the Man of Steel to punch himself. Uh, Opticus has hundreds of vision powers, but none are as cool as Superman's, so he wants them. While Superman is recovering from the, his self-inflicted super punch, Opticus hits Superman in the face with some kind of ray. There is a strange sucking noise that is quickly drowned out by a bone-chilling scream from Superman. When it's over, Superman is left whimpering, saying it's dark while Opticus burns down a nearby tree with his newly acquired heat vision, then leaves as mysteriously as he arrived. As the others, including Lana, check on Superman, he reveals that he has no eyes, only dark spots where his eyes once were. But, while Opticus needs to be found, Superman has more pressing matters. Mainly, had a function in the meantime. Using his cape to cover his eyes, because, ew, Superman points out that there is no way he could track down Opticus before morning, which is when he's supposed to activate his anti-burglar system. After all, if the city's underworld suspected he was blind, they'd go on a crime spree, and Supergirl unfortunately is no help because she's currently off Earth. This entire conversation is heard by the members of Skeleton, thanks to a bug that they planted on her back in the train station. But we'll get more on that later. Superman remembers that his heat vision is invisible to the naked eye, so he can just go through the motions of activating the alarm and no one will be able to tell the difference. So, Superman flies off to try to find his way back to his fortress, leaving Lana to think that there is something fishy going on, but she can't quite put her finger on it. The next day, we see Superman go through the motions of activating the alarm. Then, we shift forward to that evening, as Lana leaves WGBS, but is led by gunpoint to a dark car by two members of Skeleton. Meanwhile, at the museum, two other members of Skeleton are breaking into the museum from the roof. But when one of them touches the glass enclosure, he burns his hand. Alerted by the resulting alarm, Superman spots the Skeleton crew with his X-ray vision. Eh? But also spots Lana's kidnapping with his telescopic vision, leaving him with a choice. 
As the car comes to a stop outside of the city, Lana is ordered out of the car, but the door is stuck. While they wonder what is going on, a fist punches through the roof of the car, knocking out one of the bad guys. The other one run, gets out of the car and runs off, but some super suction brings him back to Superman's fist. After wrapping them up with a cut with the car's bumper, Superman takes Lana and heads back to the museum in the hopes of stopping the rest of the crew before they get away. But when they get there, the gang members are already knocked out, thanks to Opticus, who is revealed to actually be Lois in Disguise. Then, we get a full page of info dump. See, Lois had used her heat vision to cut the rope that the gang members were climbing in on, which knocked them out once they hit the ground. The heat vision is from a mechanism from one of Superman's old robots. She was able to fly thanks to a Legion flight ring, and Superman's stolen eyes were just black contact lenses. This was all an elaborate charade to flesh out Skeleton, set up because Superman saw the Skeleton leader plant a bug on Lana's watch, which is also why he didn't pursue the leader when he teleported away. Lana gets all upset, calling Superman a pompous jackass, and getting mad at him for assuming she'd be uncooperative and deciding that she couldn't trust her, or deciding that he couldn't trust her. But Superman points out that he had to do this because she broke his trust by going after the gang herself, plus she was uncooperative, and he couldn't trust her because she went to the test site anyway. This is why they could never be together, because you need more than love, you also need trust. Lois was the only person available that he trusted enough to help out with this hoax, because they have love and trust. Superman says that if he ever finds a way to share his crazy life with a woman, it will be with Lois. Like the reader, Lana gets annoyed by Superman laying it on so thick, and declares that she won't give Superman any more trouble, even if she has to leave Metropolis to do it. Alright, let's... Let's look at the like my notes for this one. Uh, first of all, it does very much... I was expecting, after I read this the first time, I was expecting that the previous issue would have had, you know, a story leading up to this. But it starts in media rays, and there's no flashback. It's, it, it's weird. It's like there's a missing issue somewhere. But anyway, first of all, I want to point out these skeleton outfits are are just... Just, just wrong. the The costumes are black and white tights, though the white is, of course, the skeleton bones. Uh, they're wearing white cowls, and the the hats that they wear on top actually look like the the little hats that the Smurfs wear, but backwards. And the everyone's got purple capes. It looks really cheap. Is basically what I'm saying. I mean, this is like not even B level, C level sci fi costumes. It's yeah, they're they're bad. What's interesting is that all throughout the story, there's only three members of Skeleton. Uh, up until, or at any time, up until the robbery th scenes. And when we get to the robbery scenes, there's suddenly four? No. Yeah, there's suddenly four. Two to take out Lana, two to go get the stuff. So, I don't know where the this awesome fourth guy came from, but whatever. Moving up to page five. So, Superman has the... You can tell Superman had this plan, but it, it seems kind of like another super dickery thing. Okay, so Superman calls this meeting, specifically has a request that Morgan Edge con uh, bring in Lois, Lana, Steve Lombard, who says nothing, and Oscar Asherman. And he has all these plans for the coverage, and Steve and Oscar will help out. But he has Lois and Lana called in specifically to tell them don't go. So not only is he baiting Lana, but it just seems mean. 
it's just also the art in this uh, we'll get into that the art just looks terrible since a lot of this okay uh let's see so opticus shows up in i'd never heard of opticus before which makes sense because he's a one-off and he's not even a villain really but i was just kind of surprised the stuff they had happened see when I saw the cover about Superman's eyes being taken, I was like, okay, this is just one of those stories. They have the really crazy cover, but Superman's fine. He's not going to have his vision, his eyes taken. And while we, by now, we know that he doesn't, you read this scene and it looks like it happens. There's a sucking noise, Superman's screaming, a bone-chilling scream. It gets dark. He shows off, uh, Optica shows off heat vision before he leaves. And then Superman's eyes appear to be missing thanks to those contact lenses. And we actually see his face with the dark contacts in, and it's kind of gross. Well, actually, it's just normal, but it's black eyes. Still, it's, uh, yeah, a little crazy. And then page 11. Now, this is, I, I, I failed to mention this before. Superman does this thing, and I, I, I'm guessing it's Kurt Swan's art. The way uh, he snaps, um, the way, I don't hold my hand like this when I snap. Maybe Kurt does, did. But um, when he when he snaps his fingers, it actually looks like he's doing the, Thwip pose that Spider-Man does. In fact, that it even put the little, um, I guess you call it, almost looks like a, a spark to indicate that he just snapped his fingers. And it looks like it's indicating that he's touching the button on his palm to shoot out the web. It, it's really weird. It definitely, it looks like Superman's trying to shoot out his webbing. Now, this was the first time I uh, had ever thought about the fact of Superman's heat vision being invisible. It makes sense, obviously, but I'd never thought of it that, of it that way because, you know, you see the movies and you see the TV shows and the cartoons, and it's obviously visible, but, of course, they make it visible so you can see it on the show, um, except for the first few episodes of the Superman animated series, which I really liked when they did that. But anyway, um, but I like the fact that the idea is he's going to fake it with invisible heat vision. I had thought that that was a post-crisis thing, the invisible of it. So that was cool that they actually had a pre-crisis. Uh, let's see. And then, of course, page 13, when Superman shows up using his... he's got his eyes back and he's using x-ray vision. Yeah, I thought I missed something when I first read that. First time. I was like, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I, I, I specifically remember reading the issue and flipping back, looking for... to make sure I had all the pages and checking to see if maybe I had really, really missed something. Also, a little cool thing in the background here. Years before it would happen in post-Crisis Superman, there's an L-shaped building. Now, it's not its not the tallest one. It's not a, I don't believe it's at an angle. But it's a building that up to the top is just windows. And then the top part is an L-shape. Uh, was it 79? So that's eight years probably before the LexCorp Tower building would make its debut in a super in the Superman comics post crisis. So that's actually kind of cool. I never noticed that. I didn't even notice that when I was reading it earlier. All right. So Superman has to make a choice: go after Lana or stop the robbery. And <laughs> see, this is kind of sad because he's like, not even I could be at two places at once. So. <sighs> I have to pick one, and there's only one choice I can make. And so we see him go after Lana. So once again, he's he's 
Superman just doesn't seem to like Lana at all, and I understand why, but dang, man. Dang. Uh, but we move right along, and then we have the info dump page, and they explain everything. Uh, which, it, it, the only difference between this and one of those John Byrne info dump is, uh, scenes is that Superman isn't sitting somewhere nonchalantly. Uh, he and Lois are talking and smiling the whole time. Uh, but yeah. And then, of course, we have the whole, you know, Superman loves Lois so much. And she's and Lana finally is just like, all right, all right, I get the message. Because that's basically what I was feeling. He's really laying it on thick here. I don't know if Marty was just really trying to emphasize it or what, but dang. But anyway, the overall, when I'm not having to, well, I, no, even when I was nitpicking, I really did enjoy the story. It was a fun issue with a mystery, and Superman was still able to take out the bad guys despite Lana. The art is terrible. I don't know how much of it was maybe Kurt was in a hurry or how much of it's the inking, but it's terrible. Uh, some of the colors are really pale on pages which isn't either of their faults, but there's too much line work on the faces. It, it was kind of funny because shortly before this, I had been reading one of my issues of uh, one of my more recent for, for the time, current issues of Superman talking about how they had to do the reboot and that they had had to do it because Superman was showing his Kryptonian age spots. Nowadays, I realize he was, they were just saying that as a, a joke, but back then I was thinking that, you know, Superman was actually looking older, and in this issue he looks really old. We're talking, uh, I mean, most of the time Superman doesn't look too old. If you, Even when Kurt Swan draws him, he, I mean, he looks maybe early 30s. This issue he's looking late 30s, early 40s. Uh, the, there's the detail, of course, some of it's the inks are really muddy, which could be part of it, but I don't think so. The, the line work is just awful. There's details in some places and no detail in others. Uh, there's scenes where Superman's ears look like Spock's ears. Um, the hair, they can't get the hair right. Uh, it, it's just not, I mean, and, and these two, it's, it's Kurt Swan and Frank Sciaramonte, and I've seen them do great work together before. So this is really throwing me off. I I'm not a fan of the art in this issue, in this issue. Also, this is the last time we'll see for I think the rest of the Bronze Age that Lois will be depicted with long hair, because shortly after this, uh, well actually as of next issue she's going to have this nice little short hair thing, and then it doesn't really get uh, long like this again until right around the death of Superman. Right, uh, no, 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 no. It starts before that. Uh, right about the time where uh, Lois and Clark get engaged, actually. It's the next time it'll be long. After that, it just... Uh, she she does... She gets this little... I don't know what you want to call it. Very early 80s hairdo. Really, kind of short. Uh, then, of course, she lets it get a little longer down to almost her shoulders. Uh, I don't know why I'm sitting here talking about Lois's hairdo, but whatever. Um... And then, of course, post-crisis, she has the same hairdo until the until they meet Lex Luthor on the boat, in which case she gets that really short hairdo that she has for a while. I call it the Superman cut, because if you look at it, it very much looks like 
she's trying to emulate Superman's here, depending on who's drawing it. And then um, she lets it get longer again for a while, especially during exile. And then it gets long kind of like this by the time, you know, the Superboy shows on the air and her hair is uh, in, uh, inspired by Stacey Hayduke's hair. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't know why I'm talking about that. Lana's hair changes will change after this, too. Both of them, uh, Lana's hair is terrible in this issue also. It's part of the art. I don't know. And Opticus looks, I know he's supposed to be a made-up villain, and there's actually Lois in disguise, but it's a uh, not a very good design. The, yeah, just the story's not bad. The art is horrible, this issue. But that's all I have to say about that. So what we're going to do is I'll play you a couple promos when we come back. Ads. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. It started as an idea. A flicker. Now with a simple voice email to the Superman of the Bronze Age podcast, that flicker has become a flame. Now... Russell, you're ready to start a podcast. Yep, you're ready to go. Yes, start it, and then and then we can email you. Whoa. And Russell has been, you know, the most consistent emailer. I think it's time that he does start a show. DC Comics Presents. You know, after Dave's done, and, I mean, you're not covering every, every issue. So he could do all of them. I would highly recommend that, actually. That would be awesome. So there you go, Russell. Go for it. I can't wait to hear his reaction to this. this <laughs> well, boys, here's your response. The DC Comics Presents show, hosted by me, Russell Bragg. On each episode, I will cover one issue of DC Comics Presents, in publishing order, until I reach the end of the series. I will also be covering all four annuals. Plus, I will be doing a character spotlight on each of Superman's guest stars, and we'll be going to the spinner rack to see what other comic books were available. Join me each episode of... The DC Comics Presents Show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's DCCPSHOW. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alrighty then. Um, actually, before we get into that, I wanted to talk about the cover real quick. It's a cool looking cover. It's not bad. It's not the best, but uh, it's by Andrew Dick, uh, Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. It's got Opticus hitting a tree with his heat vision. Uh, Superman covering his face with his hands. Lana standing there trying to duck the fire, saying that that creature is using heat vision like yours, Superman. And Superman saying, it is mine, Lana. He's stolen my eyes. And the cover copy says, who was the incredible Opticus? We challenge you to guess the amazing answer. And Opticus looks almost as terrible on this cover as he does inside, but slightly less so. He's less bulky, basically, is the only difference. Again, not one of the best covers. This this is just uh, off time for all of everyone involved, I guess. 
Uh, inside front covers for new HO scale military figures. The only reason I'm really mentioning this is the cover art on the boxes looks like Kurt Swan, uh, as near as I can tell. Uh, maybe Murphy Anderson, maybe both of them. Uh, but it, near as I can tell from the quality of the image, it definitely looks like Kurt Swan artwork on those boxes. So that's really cool. Uh, next ad page is uh, top half is for grit, bottom half is for Slim Jims. Next is a Super Gifts and Gimmicks ad page. Moving right along. Next up, we have another Hostess ad. And once again, it stars Wonder Woman. And once again, I don't have a pre-recorded version of this. So I have to do it myself. And this is Wonder Woman in The Golden Treasure. Our story starts off with Wonder Woman flying over the city. Don't know what city. It's a nondescript city. Uh, no obvious buildings to indicate that it's D.C., New York, Metropolis, Gotham, whatever. Uh, and Lo uh, Lois, I did that again. Uh, Wonder Woman's in her invisible plane, obviously. And she's saying, the thieves have taken the golden treasure of Aphrodite, but they won't get away with it. I'm right behind them. So she heads into a cave, and she, wh where that came from, I don't know. Uh, she walks in and she gets shot at. They bounce, the bullets bounce off her bracelets. And it says, a booby trap, a juvenile tactic. In the next image, we see Wonder Woman laying on the ground with a sack and two guys standing over her, and they've got guns. And they said, you, do, you really do a good job fighting off bullets, Wonder Woman. Yeah, she was so busy with them, she didn't see the stun ring. Smart, boss. And next panel, uh, they're going through the golden sack she had brought. Uh, well, actually, I guess it's just the yellow sack. This Wonder Woman starts to come too. What's hidden in the sack, gorgeous? Some treasure we missed? Nice of her to bring us some, huh? It's gold, all right. Golden sponge cake? Delicious. Hey, who's this Twinkie Cakes? I know that taste anyway. Great cream filling, too. And as they say this and start eating their Twinkies, uh, Wonder Woman stands up and snares them in her golden lasso. And for the last panel, she's put them in her invisible jet. And they're flying off. And one of them's got a whole, uh, you know, one of those cases, I guess, of Twinkies sitting next door. And the boss guy is saying, I guess we better enjoy these golden bars of Twinkie cakes while we can. And Wonder Woman says, prison bars will soon take their place. And the golden treasure of Aphrodite goes back to its rightful owner. And you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies cakes. Uh, this is a Kurt Swan, uh, I judging just based on what I can tell from the art, this looks like it was drawn by Kurt Swan and inked by Vince Coletta. That's all I can tell. It's not terrible. It's not the best. A lot of things get missed because you're trying to squeeze all of this into a full pa into one page. Uh, the best image of Wonder Woman is the last page, I think, when she's flying the plane. She looks really good there. Uh, she doesn't look too terrible when she's unconscious on the ground. Uh, and I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm just saying the artwork-wise. Um, but yeah. Uh, the next page. The top half is for the world's greatest superheroes. Follow the up-to-the-minute adventures of your favorite superstars, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, in the world's greatest superheroes by Marty Pasco, George Tuska, and Vinnie Coletta, appearing every day in your favorite newspaper. 
If you want to learn more about this, a new exciting comic strip, write to the editors, care of your local newspaper. And they have one page of, uh, or one daily, I guess you could call it, one strip, uh, where, where apparently there's some kind of flood, a dam has burst, Superman shows up on the scene, uh, Wonder Woman is saving people from the water, Superman's glad she's doing that, he's going to go check on, see about holding back the flood and repairing the dam, and Wonder Woman says, apparently he doesn't know. How can I bring myself to tell him that he's the cause of this disaster? Makes you want to go read it. Um, obviously, I've never read it before. A lot of these, uh, Marty Pasco wrote it for a while. Later, Paul Kupperberg took over. I believe his strips, Paul had been posting them on a website a while back. They're probably still there if you want to see them. I don't know the website, but if you follow Paul Kupperberg on Facebook, he had been posting them just oh, about a week's worth every Sunday for a while. So I would go check those out because it's, you know, it's cool. And by the time he was writing, I believe Jose Delbo was doing the art. Vinny might still have been doing the inks. I don't know. Anyway, moving right along, the bottom half is have a haunting new year with the most chilling comics of all. Ghosts, The House of Mystery, Weird War Tales, and Unexpected. These don't actually have any actual covers. It's just the logos. Uh, next up is a page to get the Sea Monkeys for $1.25. Uh, next up is the same ad page we saw last issue with the double dynamite uh, where you can get it's slightly different but it's basically uh, telling you about the famous first edition of Superman number one and the treasury size collector's album for Superman the movie uh, nothing really new here the next ad page is new uh, drawn by Joe Kubert with one of the skinniest Supermans you'll ever see uh, basically, it looks like uh, the way Christopher Reeve looked in the Superman costume when he did the, uh, if you've ever seen the his film tests, his screen tests, uh, there's no sweat, uh, sweat in the pit, but it's really skinny and stuff. It uh, does not look good. But anyway, Superman the movie, relive the excitement of the past, see the excitement of the present. Look forward to the future excitement of the Man of Steel with the Man of Steel in these great books. Basically, you have Superman, the exciting original story of Superman, Last Son of Krypton, by Elliot S. Magan, which is the novel book that he wrote. Making of Superman, eye-opening stories behind the most spectacular movie of all time. Read how special effects were conceived. That's kind of cool. The official Superman quiz book, a treasure trove of Superman trivia quizzes, and all the answers for every Superman fan, the one book that's got it. Uh, the Superman Blueprints, precise scaled plans of the Fortress of Solitude, Lair of Luther, and other supersets from the movie. That's cool. Uh, the Amazing World of Superman, a giant-sized mag about the Man of Steel featuring the origin of Superman, which we've actually gone over with that story. Uh, the Superman Portfolio is f 15 fabulously recreated scenes from the movie, paintings in full color. Ooh, now that could be cool depending on who does the artwork. Uh, Superman Cutouts includes three kits for building scale models from the movie Most Dazzling Feats of Superman. I hope one of them is the helicopter scene, because that'd be cool. Uh, and then the Superman calendar of 19, for 1979, all new with pictures from the movie. Spend each day the exciting way. And the first 200 orders received will get a free full-color 22-inch by 35-inch poster of 
Superman. So that's cool. Uh, moving right along. Next ad page. Top half is for being a draftsman. The bottom half is hodgepodge. Next ad page is full color t-shirts for the incredible, awesome, current popular show, Battlestar Galactica. Next ad page, Kryptonite Rocks. They glow in the dark and uses an ad, uh, uses art from Wayne Boring from the 50s, I think. Uh, let's see. But yeah, uh, basically it's glow in the dark krypton kryptonite. That's about it. Uh, next is a hodgepodge ad page. Uh, next up, we get the letters page. Nothing huge here. Uh, talking about Superman number 328, which is uh, going up against, which, uh, which is worth the kryptonoid. Um, then the next page is, an, is the Daily Planet page. Superman and Wonder Woman battle ice demons in DC Comics Presents number nine, uh, which we, which is still a month away. Uh, direct currents for several issues of the, for issues coming out February fifth of Ghosts, Justice League, Men of War, Superman Family, and then a list of all the comics currently on sale right now. I have to look. Apparently, Action and Superman came out about the same time. Crazy. Uh, Answer Man, uh, Superman was really big at this time, uh, and you can tell because uh, DC's going to have coloring books. Three of them are going to be f featuring Superman. Of course, that makes sense since, you know, he's in the movies right now. My favorite one of all of these is the Superman on TV, the Earth-1 Man of Steel or the Earth-2 version, and he answers the Earth, ter the Earth TV version. See what he did there? Yeah, yeah. Also, another funny question. When will Superman, when will the Superman Farrah Fawcett Majors tabloid be coming out? And he responds right after the Batman Cheryl Teague's edition. So, ha, 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 ha. Anyway, and then the, finally we get the Hembeck ad. And it's Wildcat talking to Dr. Fate. And Wildcat says, hey, Dr. Fate, isn't, isn't it hot in that helmet? And then there's no response. And he says, Dr. Fate. And then you hear snoring. So Dr. Fate's asleep, obviously. Ha ha. Uh, next is a full-page ad for a 100-piece toy soldier set. Then you get a prizes or cash ad. And the back cover is for monogram model kits from cars to planes to space shuttles. And that's it for that. So let's take a minute to look at Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse. Okay, looking at other books that had a cover date of April 1979. First up, we have Batman number 310 featuring uh, going up against the ghost who haunted Batman. Uh, with a... Uh, it's an alright cover by... Uh, who to do that? Oh, Joe Kubert. And basically, Batman's going to go up against Gentleman Ghost. And this is the first issue uh, edited by Paul Levitt. So this is where Paul Levitt took over the editorialship of the Batman books from Julie Schwartz. So things start changing a little bit for that book. It, you'll notice, of course, by this point, Julie is... I don't know if it's 
he's just giving them up or they're being taken from him. But this is about the point where Julie Schwartz is losing his editorial ship over the like half of the books at DC Comics. Uh, he still has Superman all the way to the 86, though, but he's now lost Batman and The Flash. Uh, Superman, or DC Comics presents number eight. Superman and Swamp Thing team up against Solomon Grundy, who, by the way, was born on a Monday. Just thought I'd point that out. This is the Earth, the new, the newer Earth One Solomon Grundy that we saw introduced in an earlier issue of Superman. Uh, the story is by Steve Englehart and Murphy Anderson. But the cover is by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. So, unfortunately, I'm going to say this again. Um, it's kind of not fair because the cover makes it look cool. But I like Murphy Anderson's art, but it just it's not the same when you have a Lopez cover. Although Superman looks kind of weird on the cover. Uh, Detective Comics number 483, starring the Batman family, has a beautiful cover by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Uh, it's it's two half, pa half covers. The first half, or the left half, is basically a recreation of the death of the Waynes. You've got the mugger uh, yeah, the mugger is shooting Thomas Wayne while Martha Wayne's in the background and Bruce is being, you know, devastated. And the other half is basically, it's a very similar scene. Uh, Thomas Wayne has been replaced by a criminal of some kind. Uh, the mugger, who we know is Joe Chill, uh, has been replaced by a very angry Batman. And Bruce in the background has been replaced by Leslie Tompkins distraught over the way he's beating up a mugger. I believe this is one of those uh, where he returns to Crime Alley for the anniversary of their death and has a rough time with it. Uh, but anyway, beyond that, there's a human target story, uh, the Lights Camera Murder Contract. Uh, Batgirl has a date. Uh, the Demon is in here. Robin and Batman has another story, Gotham's Great Kangaroo Race. Which sounds like that kind of dark and moody story that Batman is really known for. But this issue celebrates uh, the 40th anniversary of Batman. Right here. Because uh, it's the April-May issue, and he made his debut April-May 1939, so makes sense. Flash number... Let's see. Flash number 272. He goes up against the girl with the mastermind. This also has a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Praise Be His Name cover, and it looks very nice. You don't get a really good look at the Flash, but uh, you've got that clown guy again, who I think we've I've mentioned the last few covers. Uh, wow. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Praise Be His Name draws the cover to Justice League of America 165. Boy, that looks cool. Uh, let's see. And they're going up against all these soldiers. I, They're phonies. But uh, they're going up against soldiers. Superman's is made of stone. Batman's is made of wood. Looks like the one Green Arrow's going up against is made out of water. You know, I can't tell the others. But yeah, they're, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, but it's the mother of Matt, or a mother of magic. Uh, let's see, World's Finest, number 256. 
Uh, Superman and Batman deal with the werewolf of Krypton. Batman's got a weird stance on this cover. Uh, there's also a Green Arrow story, a Black Canero story, a Hawkman story, and a Captain Marvel story in that one. Uh, let's see. Action Comics number 494. Once again, covered by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Oh, he did not do the cover for World's Finest. That's an Andrew Giordano cover. Uh, looks like Lois is being attacked by a ghost of some kind of a soldier. And Superman can't see it. It's a very moody cover, but it's really a cool cover. And this is called The Secret of the Super S. Brave and the Bold, number 149, features Batman teaming with the Teen Titans. And apparently, this is the first time the Titans have have joined up again since their own title was canceled. Uh, and they will not be repair, uh, coming together again until, I guess, that preview in DC Comics Presents 26, which is right before issue 1 comes out of the new Teen Titans. Uh, so, but it's a Bob Haney written issue, so who knows what happens. Although right now the Titans are working on beating up Batman. Um, uh, fortunately, though, it's a Gemma Paro cover, so it looks cool. Uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number one fifteen. The story is titled "The Vengeance of the Crumbler," and uh, let's see, Green Lantern is fighting against the Crumbler whose power is actually, looks like he's eat, is eating away at Green, Lan Green Lantern's uh, ring shield. And Green Lantern doesn't know where Black, Carry, Black, Carry, Black Canary and Green Arrow are because they're trapped in the ice under his feet. So, yeah, that's not good. Cool cover, though, by Alex Saviak and Dick Giordano. Not bad. Uh, Super Friends number 19. Uh, the Mystery of the Missing Monkey. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here, but uh, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman are going up against all these animals who have stolen jewelry. Well, actually, the cat-like creature that Superman's going after doesn't seem to have any, but uh, the bird that Batman's going after has a bag of money, which you can tell because it's a bag with a dollar sign on it. And uh, it looks like Wonder Woman's going up against a kangaroo with a bunch of jewelry stuck stuffed in its pouch. and the Wonder Twins just kind of look on. This is by Ramona Freyden and Bob Smith. So it looks really cool. Uh, so yeah, uh, Schaffenberger has not taken over the art as I had was questioning last issue. Next up, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 250. This is the day the universe dies. It's got a cool cover uh, with them bursting out through a bunch of previous covers. Uh, from like Superboy stuff and Adventure Comics stuff and all their previous incarnations. Uh, because basically this is Superboy's 250th issue. So there is an image from Superboy number one and it goes all the way through around to today. The cover's by Joe Staten and Dick Giordano. It looks pretty nice. Um, that's all I can tell you. Now, it's not any longer than a normal issue, which is upsetting. So I, I haven't read the story, obviously. But um, it's kind of sad. 250 issues and they don't do an extra size story for it. Oh, well. Uh, but it's cool because Jim Starlin does do some of the work on it. 
Uh, he's the plotter and the penciler for the story. And Paul Levitz is the scripter. And finally for this month, two, uh, two, I don't know what that was for. Wonder Woman 254, she goes up against Angle Man. Huh. Angle Man. I can't even say that and sound, make it sound cool. He, she goes up against Angle Man. No, I just, no. No. He fights you with a triangle. No. 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 It just doesn't work. Anyway, all that's it for this episode. I want to thank everyone for downloading and listening. And make sure you return in just one week for our next episode of Superman in the Bronze Age up against... Well, Superman goes up against a mysterious imp from the fifth dimension. You know who that is? Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. Also, we have a Facebook fan page where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Feel free to like us there. Want to comment on the episode you just heard? Email the show at superbronze1970 at gmail.com. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you again for listening, and God bless. to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. (laughs) 